Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 117, and we're going to talk about toilets. Yes, it's toilets again, but this time I have an update on some of the latest technology and maybe some good solutions that you haven't considered yet. We're also going to talk about how propane bottles work, how you know you're not getting ripped off, a tale from the road involving a remote cabin, and a product review of something many of us use even when we're not doing van life, and that's Amazon Prime. Hello everyone, welcome back. Thank you for being here with me. And my voice sounds different to me this week. I don't know why. I'm not feeling ill. But I sound different to me, so if I sound different to you, it's just one of those mysteries that may never be solved. (laughs) Now, last week I made a mistake, and I'm always eager to correct my mistakes, and I'm going to do so right now. I said that the Winnebago project that I have just purchased was a D22, which is correct. But I said that the D stands for dinette. In fact, it stands for Dodge. In the old Winnebago's, the letter before the number code would refer to what type of chassis the motorhome was built on. So you'd have F for Ford, D for Dodge, C for Chevrolet, etc. So I apologize for the mistake. And now you may go on with your lives with fuller knowledge of how the world works. Now, toilets are always a popular topic for van life. It's kind of amazing. You type in van life toilet on YouTube and you will have 18 years of content to peruse, much of it contradictory. And that's because it's a difficult topic to talk about and people have different priorities and needs and understandings when it comes to toilets. So why am I talking about it again? Well, the reason is that I am in a situation with the land that we just purchased where we're not going to have a septic system put in, at least not right away. And while we will have a traditional black tank toilet system in the RV, that isn't really ideal. And when we have guests, we would rather have them have their own private space for such activities. So we were looking at all kinds of different options. Now, we are probably going to end up just renting a porta potty for the season because being a stationary site, we have that option. But that's not a great option if you're in a van that moves. <laughs> so we are going to take a look right now at many of the different options, starting at the simplest and going to the more complex. And I'm going to speak very quickly about some of the obvious ones so that I can spend more time talking about the newer, unusual ones. Okay, first, most simple is a bucket in a bag. A lot of people use this. A lot of people have tried the other methods I'm going to talk about and gone back to this because it's so simple and flexible. You basically use a bucket as the toilet. You put a bag in there and when you're done, you tie the bag up very carefully. Maybe you use a gel. Maybe you use a deodorizer, something like that, wood shavings, whatever you want or nothing at all. Just seal it really well and then toss it in the trash. And while people get squeamish about the idea of tossing human waste into the trash, that is what we do with diapers. It is a common thing that we do, so you're not doing anything unusual there. Prices for this can range from five bucks for a Home Depot bucket to even over $100 for some of these systems. There are many, many different ways to do this. I reviewed a tripod chair that turned into a toilet 
oh boy, probably six months ago, and it didn't work out very well because it was poorly made, but I really like that concept of having a seat that you can use during the day that also doubles as a toilet. So that's what I'm actually using in my van right now. I don't know that I'm going to continue with that, but that fits the lifestyle I'm leading with that van where I'm not in it long term and I'm driving a lot. And because I'm driving a lot, I can use public toilets mostly. So this ends up being an emergency toilet and it works great for that. And that's one of the things you have to consider. Are you going to be using this toilet as your exclusive toilet, in which case you may want to invest more in it? Or are you going to be just using it for emergencies? And I do recommend everyone have some sort of emergency toilet system, even if it's just a garbage bag, really you will thank me later or you won't. Moving on, the toilet system that is most associated with van life is what is called the composting toilet. Of these, one of the most popular is the nature's head. Now I have some issues with these, not because of the technology, but because of the marketing. Composting toilet gives you the idea that you are doing something good for the environment. You're composting material that would otherwise end up in the waste stream somewhere. Well, that isn't how these things work, and I saw a very dangerous video on YouTube where the host suggested that because it's a composting toilet, all the waste in there is harmless. They literally said, you don't even have to use gloves to empty this thing. Let's not do that, folks. This, th first off, it's not a composting toilet. It can start the composting process, but human waste takes one year to turn into compost, okay? One year. In order to complete the composting process or composting process, depending on which pronunciation you'd like, you need to take that waste and then dump it into a compost pile and tend that pile for a year. And this isn't great for people who are on the move. Unless you know where you can dump this stuff, you're not going to have much luck with it. So people tend to do two things. One is that they just dump it in the woods thinking that it's totally safe and it isn't. It's the same as just doing your business in the woods at that point, only more concentrated and thus causing more harm. Or they wrap it up in a trash bag and throw it away, which ends up being the same as the first method because nothing's going to compost in a trash bag. If you understand that, these can be a very good solution. The thing that they do that's key is they separate liquids from solids. Now, for men, this is not the hardest thing in the world to do. In fact, most men I know doing van life do use the bottle method, which I approve of. For women, it's a little bit more complicated. But from what I have seen from women who use these things, it isn't that difficult to get the hang of. And then you have a urine bottle you need to empty with some regularity, daily, weekly, depending on how much you use it. And then you have a solids container that you need to empty maybe once a month, depending on use. That in and of itself works great for van life. But don't fool yourself that you're creating compost unless you are actually going through the entire process. You're not. And... These things can be super expensive. Nature's Head regularly retails for over $1,000. And while it looks like it's a quality unit, you can make your own one of these things. All you're really doing is combining your waste with some sort of medium like sawdust or coconut fibers and mixing it up. And that's it. You have a little exhaust fan on there and the rest is just carpentry. So you can make your own for a whole lot less money. For folks who are squeamish about that too, there is the more traditional cassette toilet. A cassette toilet is a modification of the old traditional design of toilet, which was a black tank. So 
I have to explain here in case there's new listeners. Black tanks are for storing your toilet waste, and that's it. That's all that goes in there. Gray tanks are for storing water from showers and sinks, and generally they're separated on most vans and RVs if they have them. Not always. Sometimes it's a combined tank, which means you always have to use a dump station. A combined tank is always a black tank. And black tanks are a solution for vans. I had a note from someone saying, why don't you ever talk about black tanks? And it's because I've kind of ruled them out (laughs) for van life for a number of reasons. But it turns out maybe I shouldn't because that solution does still work for some people. And it is what comes with a lot of commercially made class B RVs, that is RVs that are vans. And it's just a tank on the bottom that fills up and you have to empty it out at a dump station. That's all it is. A cassette toilet integrates the black tank with the toilet itself and the black tank actually comes out as a cassette that you can carry or wheel to any toilet, dump station, outhouse, porta potty, vault toilet, basically anywhere that waste goes, you can empty this into it. And that is its great flexibility. It is a water system, so you actually flush these like you would a household toilet, although it's a lot different because you are doing your business in a little tiny bowl that isn't all that comfortable for some larger folks, and it isn't as clean as a regular toilet. You often need to tidy up a bit when you're done. And the biggest problem with cassette toilets is that when you empty these things, it is kind of a gruesome process. You have to literally dump a big bucket of human waste into something, and that is always going to have odors associated with it, unless you really, really put a lot of chemicals in there. Now, these things don't smell when they're in your van normally. It's when you're emptying them. That's the problem. I have used them. They are pretty high up on my list of ways of dealing with this. And they also have an advantage that they can be used in the winter if you fill them with windshield washer fluid rather than water. So I like them. And the prices are not terrible. They can be as low as $60, but I would recommend you not get a cheap toilet. You should probably spend more like $100 or $150. Prices have been going up on these for what it's worth, but (laughs) that's the way it is with everything. Okay, now here's some new tech. It's not that new. It's been out for a few years, but it isn't used that much. And it's really interesting. I call it the space baggie system. I don't know that it has an actual name, but if you've ever seen a diaper genie, the idea is that your waste is tightly sealed in bags and then you just dispose of the bags. Yes, you're contributing to the waste stream. That's true, but that's true for almost all of these. And you're going to have to deal with that. If that is a huge issue for you, maybe a cassette toilet's probably the best option. But the two of these that are the most common are the Laveo, which is 785 bucks, which is relatively inexpensive as we head into this higher-end territory, and the Wrap-On, which is about $1,100. They both work basically the same way, but the Laveo looks like a traditional toilet. And when you lift the lid and look in there, it looks like an upside-down Jiffy Pop. <laughs> it's this big piece of Mylar. You do your business on that, press the flush button, And the bag is sucked down and then twisted many times into this tight seal, and that's it. You're done. One advantage of this system is you can toss anything in there. You don't have to worry about, oh, is my toilet paper going to clog this up, or should I use those baby wipes? It doesn't matter. You can throw everything in there. Any trash you want can go in there. Now, the Laveo creates this big, long chain of bags. So when you're done, and that's usually about 17 uses per cartridge, you have to put that all in a trash bag, which comes with it, a heavy-duty trash bag, and then throw it away. And that 
has some weight to it, plus it's fairly big, so it's not like something you could toss into the little garbage can next to the gas pumps, which is my big problem with the Laveo system. The biggest problem with the Laveo system isn't the initial cost, isn't dealing with the bags. It's the recurring cost of having to buy these cartridges that you're going to have to mail order. And when you do the math, it will cost you between $1.30 and $1.85 per flush. Eh, that is a lot of money for something that usually doesn't cost us a lot of money. So consider that. The Rap-On is a system that's similar but has one key difference. This thing doesn't look like a toilet at all. It's this green box on legs. It, it really doesn't look like a toilet. It looks more like an overhead projector, if anyone's old enough to remember what that is. Anyway, similar idea. You open it up, you do your business, you press a button, and it sucks the waste down into a plastic bag this time, spins it around, but then it does the seal-a-meal thing <laughs> where it cuts the bag and seals it, and you end up with a single packet of waste much more the size of a diaper. What's good about this is you can dispose of it immediately. You don't have to have this collection of bags. Every single time you go to a gas station, you could get rid of these. And I think that is a really good idea. Plus, it is cheaper per use, these, but not cheap. It comes down to about $1.10 per use if you buy these bags in bulk. So I like these solutions because they're simple. They will work in all weather. They make it easy to get rid of your waste, and they don't use very much power. Which brings us to the last and very attractive yet very expensive way of disposing of your waste, and that is an incinerating toilet. That's right, folks. Your toilet can also be a furnace. <laughs> there are actually several companies making these, but the three that are most common are Tiny John, Incinolet, and Cinderella. Woohoo! Now, Tiny John, having watched videos, appears to have terrible quality and customer service problems. I would just avoid them out of hand. That leaves us Incinolet and Cinderella. Incinolet has been around forever. It's a well-established company, and the way these work is you have a traditional-looking toilet basically sitting in a box. Open the lid, put in a giant coffee filter, basically. You have to buy these little things that look like coffee filters and put them in there. You can make your own, and they're not anywhere near as expensive as the baggies from the previous system. Do your business, step on a foot pedal that opens a valve, and then press a button. On the Incinolet, for the next 90 minutes, that waste will burn, and when it's done, it's just ash. And you can toss that ash anywhere. You can toss it in the trash, or you can literally toss it in the woods, and it's fine. That's pretty good. It handles urine. It handles waste. It handles paper products. So it's pretty flexible. The problem is it uses an incredible amount of energy. Uh, it's like 2,000 watts. And the Incinolet, from what I can tell, is only electric. So you would need a very hefty electric system to use this thing in a van. I think it's much more suited for like a tiny house that's going to sit in the same place for a long time. The same is true for the Cinderella. Oh, and by the way, the Incinolet is about $2,000. Now, the Cinderella is a much fancier, much more sophisticated, uh, much more updated version of this thing. And it still uses a lot of power, but it can also run on propane. You can get a propane one, and this might be much more suitable for a van. But here's the kicker with the Cinderella. It can be as much as $6,000. So I like the idea of the incinerating toilets, and we may actually use one of those for our 
land where it's going to be stationary, where we will have electricity. But I don't think for that price, and I mean, if you think about the stuff you would need to do that in a van, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's a great solution for vans, unfortunately. Although some people have done it. You can find YouTube videos of people with incinerating toilets in their vans. So that's enough toilet talk for now, but that's the landscape as it is right now. Those are the options we have. And of course there are people that just don't have a toilet in their van and just use the woods or public restrooms. But again, that is really going to depend on how you use your van and where you use your van. Tech talk. Propane bottles. You would think there's not a whole lot of tech to talk about here, but there is actually. The standard propane bottle that you get from Home Depot or wherever, those trade-in bottles, and it makes it very easy. When your tank is empty, you go trade it in for a new one. But is that the best way to get propane? Well, it is the simplest and most convenient way, and it is a reason that I recommend people do use those normal gas grill-sized propane tanks. But you should know something about those, and that is that they're not full. <laughs> they don't fill them. They fill them about 75%, and they claim they do this for safety, and also to make them lighter, so they're easier to carry. But I imagine the reason had a little bit to do with economics as well. So you are actually driving around with a tank that is never going to be at its maximum fill if you do the trade tank thing. What is better to do is to have your tank filled by a professional either at a campground or, a, or any place that refills propane. And these places are getting harder to find, unfortunately. Now, they typically will weigh your tank. They will weigh it and you will pay for the amount of propane they put in there. That is going to be the fairest thing. But they can still play games with you. And there's a way to catch them. And it's like this. Now, like I said last week, I used to be one of these guys that filled these bottles. So I know how it works. And it's pretty simple. Remember, we say the word propane, but we're really talking about liquid petroleum gas. It's a mixture of gases. It's propane and butane and some other things. But the key word there is liquid. You are filling that tank with liquid. And the way you know that that tank is full is that, well, liquid leaks out of it. I mean, that's really how we tell. We put the filler on the nozzle and there's this little screw that we undo. And then we fill the tank and it fills with the liquid. And as the liquid gets near the top, and this liquid is, is a little bit unusual. It's almost boiling when you do this because it's only liquid due to pressure, not temperature. When it gets near the top, some of that liquid starts to spit out the hole. And then we say, oh, it's full, and we close the screw and close the valve and take off the filler and then sell you your propane. So if you're watching someone fill your tank and you want to be sure they're filling it up all the way, make sure you can actually see gas vapor or actually little droplets of liquid coming out of that screw hole before they shut it up. A lot of these places see filling propane as a nuisance. They don't make a lot of money on it. It's something they do as a courtesy. And if it's cold out or they're busy, they may rush the process and you may not get as much propane as the tank can hold. So know that one little tip. Another important little tip about propane tanks is that they don't last forever. They expire. So you have to make sure that your propane tank is less than, I think it's 12 years old now. That's how it used to be. Every 12 years, they need to be recertified, which is to take them to a professional who will inspect the tank, make sure it's not rusting, make sure the valves are in good shape, or even replace the valves, which is not that hard to do. 
The problem is if you have an undermounted propane tank, which is popular in some of these commercially made RV vans, well, if that tank is decertified, then you're looking at hundreds of dollars to replace it, <laughs> which is another reason I really think the simplest, easiest way to deal with propane in your van is to use the gas grill bottles. Even though they're not an ideal size in some cases, they're just the easiest to deal with down the road. So I hope you learned something about propane. Thank you very much, Hal, for suggesting that I talk about this. It's stuff I take for granted, but that's only because I did it a lot and not everyone has done that. Tales from the road. I thought I would tell you a tale, a heartwarming tale. It, it seems like heartwarming stuff might be in short supply these days. There is a place that I've been to. It's fairly well known. I've been there a few times. It is in Death Valley in the California side, which is most of Death Valley. Uh, near Shoshone, where you drive into the desert for an hour and a half, and there's a cabin there. It's actually a bunch of cabins, but I'm going to talk about just one. This one is called Geologist's Cabin. It's well known to anybody who crawls around the desert out there, and it's a, a, a stone cabin built on a little bit of a hill next to a pond. <laughs> there's a spring there, which is why the cabin's there, and it is in great condition, and it's way over 100 years old. You drive out there, and you can do this in any reasonable vehicle with clearance. Like, you could do it with a two-wheel drive pickup truck with no problem. You could do it with a four-wheel drive SUV that was a car style, like a CRV, if you were very careful. I went out there in a Dodge Raider, which is an old, crappy SUV, and also a Land Rover, which had no problem. It's not that hard to get to. It's in what's called Butte Valley. There's a place there called Striped Butte. Really nice piece of desert land that you can go and experience some real solitude and real silence. And it, it's just kind of a fun place to be. This cabin has been there forever, and it's filled with things from travelers for over 100 years. And it's next to the spring, and in the spring are two things I would not expect to see in the desert. The first is bees. There's lots of bees there, and it's because there's so little water in the area, they all congregate there to get water. And they don't bother you. You're not going to go swimming in this pond. It's not that big. The second thing is frogs. There are frogs in that pond. And boy, I'd like to know how they got there. I can only assume that someone put them there, because if that's not the case, those frogs have been existing in that one pond since that area was wet. <laughs> and that's been a very, very, very long time. Now the heartwarming part. If you watch any kind of urban exploration kind of stuff, you see that the first thing that happens to an abandoned building is people break into it, steal everything they can, break all the glass, and then spray paint stupid things on the walls. It happens every time, and it is disheartening. It's one of the reasons I have a hard time watching the Herb-X videos. But Geologist Cabin and many of the other cabins in Death Valley are what are called volunteer cabins. These are cabins that are maintained by visitors, and it is amazing what shape these things tend to be in. The people who visit these cabins have made some effort to get there, and they care. So the geologist's cabin has been modified many times over the years. I haven't been there for probably 10 years. From what I understand now, when you go inside, there will be an American flag. It'll be the first thing you see. You're supposed to take the American flag outside and run it up the pole, and that lets other people know that you're using the cabin. And then you'll find food, water, 
maybe some bedding, all kinds of furniture. And what I have recently learned is that someone rigged up the place with solar power, so there's even lights and Bluetooth speakers, I believe. I haven't seen that personally. And it's kind of amazing. Somebody built an elaborate outhouse. I think that has fallen down since. But somebody will rebuild another one, I'm positive. And you can go... And visit a place where people take care of something, not because they have to, not because they're being watched. You could do whatever you wanted there and you'd probably not get observed, but because it's the right thing to do. Everybody goes there, enjoys their weekend, whatever, and then leaves things behind for the next person. And it's just heartwarming and nice. And boy, I wish we could see a lot more of that in normal society. So Geologist Cabin is one that is well known. There's hundreds of these cabins out there. Some of them are very secretive because people are worried that they're going to be ruined. Barker Ranch is a case of that. That is the famous place where Charles Manson was captured. And 10 years ago, somebody burned it down. I don't know why. Just because they did. I would really hate for that to happen to Geologist Cabin. So if you do go visit it, please show the same respect and kindness that previous visitors have shown you. And if you do that, we can keep this good thing going forever. Product Review Amazon Prime. It's been in the news lately because they raised their prices. But is it worth it? Especially if you are considering van life. Uh, For me... The answer is a resounding yes. In fact, I mean, I am an Amazon affiliate, so technically they do sponsor the podcast. You know, when you click on links in my descriptions, I do get a little tiny bit of commission from Amazon. It doesn't cost you anything. But even if I didn't, I would be saying that, boy, Amazon Prime is one of the bargains of the century. Now, I understand Amazon is big evil company. I get that. And if you have political or sociological reasons for avoiding the company, I am not going to disagree with you. That's fine. But from a consumer standpoint, Amazon Prime provides an incredible value, even at the higher price point. Not only do you get free two-day shipping in most cases, or if you're in Chicago like I am, you can get free same day or even free next hour delivery, which stuns me. You also get free books, free music, free video. Basically, if you subscribe to Amazon Prime, you have a lot of things taken care of at once for the same cost as just a Netflix account. So think about that. You have a source of video entertainment that you can download and watch whenever you want without an internet connection for the same price as Netflix and get the free shipping, and get reduced prices, and etc., etc., etc. And if you're someone who shops at Whole Foods, you get discount there, too. So, the trick with Amazon Prime is that if you're a student, take advantage of their student program, because it will save you a lot of money. And if you're not, see if you can pay the annual way, because you do save a lot of money that way. But, yes, in my calculus, Amazon Prime is absolutely worth it for van life folks, I've used it since it first came out, and I love it. So, make your own decisions, of course, but if you're looking for an affordable way to get consumable media, as well as products, Amazon Prime might be worth your consideration. Resource recommendation. This this one's a little strange. Um, I have to tell you a little, a little story here. I joined Boy Scouts fairly late in life. <laughs> I was 14 when I joined Boy Scouts. So I had to like run through all the steps to get up to Eagle, which I never quite made, but that's a whole long story. At any rate, my first camping trip 
somebody said, hey, go start a fire. And I had some matches and there was wood and I was like, oh, okay. So I grabbed a log and I took a match and I held the match to the wood and nothing happened. It wouldn't light. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm 14 years old. I've seen fires lit constantly. Why doesn't this light? And it's because I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, you know, I, all my experience with seeing fires get lit were on the movies where, you know, any tiny little spark will cause a car to explode, which isn't realistic, thankfully. So I had to learn how to start a fire. And having done so, I, ever since, ever since I was 14, I can light any size fire you want with a single match without any accelerant. And I think that's a good skill to have. So this week's resource recommendation is that you learn how to start a fire with a single match and no accelerant. Because this could be a life-saving thing, it's certainly a useful thing, and it's just a fun thing to know. The bottom line with this, and I will have a link that'll give you step-by-step -step instructions, but the bottom line is you start small and ramp up. You don't try to light a log on fire with a match. You try to light something small, like dry grass or something like that. And then you have little tiny twigs on the dry grass, and then bigger twigs, and then sticks. And then those sticks will turn into maybe limbs. And then finally, the last thing you put on there is a log. It's kind of an active process. While you can build a fire that you just light with one match and walk away, it's much more common to actually be interactive with the fire and watch it and add sticks and woods as it can. And here's a big thing that a lot of people get wrong in the movies and books and stuff. Wet wood is not a problem. You can totally light wet wood on fire. That isn't the concern. It's green wood. That is, if you cut a live branch off of a tree, it's going to take a really long time to light that on fire. So... That's the shortest, quickest way to tell you how to light a fire, but uh, look at the resource. Look look at the show notes. Actually, you can just YouTube how to build a fire or WikiHow or something. But practice it. Do it. Find an old number 10 can or like an old coffee can. See if you can light a fire in that because that can be useful for cooking in an emergency or not an emergency. I've cooked many meals on a coffee can. So, a strange little resource recommendation this week, but one that could actually do good things for you. Wow, I guess I talked too much about toilets. This episode's already over. All right, we will talk about something else next time if I survive this adventure with the Tiki Bago that's coming up. <laughs> Music, as always, is by Simon Wag. Oh, and I will try to post updates about my Tiki Bago adventure, especially if I die. I promise I will give you an update about that. Until next time, remember the words of Andy Rooney, who said, I've learned that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes. <laughs> <laughs>